I'm just going to start off by saying hi, everyone. Um, if you are tuning in, the reason for uh, today's episode um, is because of the one that we missed. Um, so we are just uh, basically we had some technical difficulties uh, on Monday when we were supposed to be doing uh, Catherine Dubois episode and it did happen, but it just didn't happen to stream, which is kind of the important part, if not the whole thing. Um, so I am really excited because um, I did remember to at least uh, record um, <laughs> the interview. Sorry. Uh, hold on a second. Um, so we only missed about the first 10 minutes of it, which... As you guys know, if you've seen the show before, the first 10 minutes is, like, mostly me talking anyway. Um, so, um, that being said, um, I guess we should get started. Um, and also, uh, stay tuned next week uh, because we're going to be interviewing um, uh, uh, Displaced Comedians Administrator uh, Nico Uloff. And I really shouldn't have started this till I was, like, really ready to go with uh, all of my documents, but, oh, here we go. Um, so, um, yeah, you guys know about, like, if you want to watch previous episodes, you can go to our YouTube channel, Facebook uh, page, uh, or Twitch. Um, they hold on to them only for, like, two weeks there, though, so keep that in mind. Um, and, of course, you can watch live at district-comedy.live. Um, but today or Monday, rather, uh, we had Synetic Theater's company director, Catherine Dubois, a DC native, Catherine first started directing and producing as a teenager with Wildwood Summer Theater, where she coached, produced, and directed for six seasons. Catherine earned her degree in drama via Ithaca College, the Eugene O'Neill National Theater Institute, and the St. Petersburg Imperial Academy of the Arts. As a physical theater artist, Catherine has focused on the techniques of Drosnin, Grotowski, Meyerhold, Jazzo, and has trained and performed with Synetic for over 10 years. An award-winning filmmaker, Catherine has exclusively focused on women as the project of her film work. As part of her series of quiet dramas, she wrote, produced, and starred in The Challenge Coin, Back Home, and Awake. Her most recent work, Space to Explore, profiles aerospace engineer Natalie Panek and her goal to be the first astronaut on Mars. She is Synetic Theater's company director, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and a company member of over 10 years. She's uh, performed in several shows, most recently The Tempest, and has directed Synetic's recent virtual show, Joy, uh, featuring actress Maria Simpkins. And Catherine is also known uh, for online hosting, uh, co-hosting, rather, uh, over 40 trailer reaction videos on the popular Real Rejects YouTube channel. And they were very funny, so I highly recommend you go watch them. Um, and then, of course, the reason we're all here, don't forget to... Um, you know, like and subscribe to my channel, of course, but also go donate uh, to Synetic Theater. When I switch screens, uh, we're going to see the website where you can donate. Um, or there should be a little donate button on district-comedy.live. Uh, so with all that being said, uh, we are going to transition now. Yeah, smooth as butter. Right? wouldn't have been able to just shoot it the next day with some some equipment like running around the city so um yeah so it's I'm kind of interesting how you say that because it makes me think you know in comedy we all like to have the person who knows how to like edit video and film and make you look good yes. and if there's a comedian that does that they're kind of everyone's best friend and it kind of makes you know, it's interesting because you don't think about it working the other way. Whereas, you know, you have all the technical skills, you know how to create a work and you have the ideas. Um, and then you can also just bring it to completion by having the acting background that you do. So that's really cool. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I think, you know, I think learning the things that you need to learn to move your own career forward is is a really valuable lesson and whether you're an artist in some other capacity or you're a comedian you know the first couple of things i learned how to do myself was build my own website build my own poster for a film that i shot um, or a film that 
you know, even if someone else shot it or acted in it, if I was producing it, I was like, I need the marketing material, you know, creating your own marketing material and beginning to learn those programs so that you can really have like, you can, you can show your personality without having to hire someone to show your own personality. That's really valuable. Yeah. I mean, and it, yeah, it's definitely like going back to that thing about like actors tend to have to be the jack of all trades mm -hmm. um, to basically get noticed because you don't know kind of what perspective somebody is going to um, be looking at you in order to give you that first foot in the door. But um, you mentioned, and I mentioned in the bio that I just read, um, about um, the decision to focus exclusively um, on women as the subject of your film work. Yeah. Um, so what was it that, um, led you to make that decision? Um, and has that decision ever created any challenges for you? And if so, what were they? So, so it's a, it's a little bit of a marketing thing. Like to be totally honest, I didn't realize that I had done this until like a year ago. I was like, oh, let me like look through my resume. Let me look through my work. Oh my God, all I see is women. Like I, I did not purposely set out to do this. And I think, I think that's a huge, you know, that's, it says a lot about how captivating the dynamic portrayal of women's stories is, is that I was just like, these are the stories I'm interested in. And it was only after several pieces that I was like, oh my goodness, is there a theme emerging here? And then I was like, you know what, let me lean into this because that could be a part of my brand. But it was it was relatively accidental. And, and I've embraced kind of that happenstance um, of work and it's led me to even more work that I've embraced and loved. So it was kind of a, a, a path that was sort of just, you know, like rain just comes down and like forges a, str a stream, a path. Like that's that's how I feel. Like I feel like it wasn't a, a super conscious decision. I was just following stories that I was interested in. And, and, and this is where I am, someone who has that experience, that insight and who wants to continue to make those stories. So yeah, <laughs> but I, but I think, I think, uh, I think it, it, it does have challenges, um, but it does have rewards. You know, um, the film that I created, um, uh, Space to Explore with Natalie Pennock, you know, I think that that, I think that people are really interested and curious about seeing stories about women that aren't just A to B success stories. You know, like we have a lot of stories, inspiration stories where it's like, oh my goodness, here's someone's major hurdle and yay, they achieve their goals. And in the case of Natalie Pennock, that, that wasn't actually the outcome, right? So the outcome was that she is more incredible, more um, focused, is able to put herself on a trajectory that is more exciting having had these big, wild, incredible dreams and working towards them than she would have if she didn't. But it's not that her biggest, wildest, craziest dreams come true. She's not an astronaut on Mars. And right. she's, not, yeah. she's not going to be because of reasons that detail in the story. But, you know, I, so I think for me as a storyteller, what fascinates me is looking at the landscape around in terms of women's stories and trying to find something more dynamic, something that people haven't seen yet. The reason I started the quiet um, drama series was because I was, as a frustrated young female actress in Hollywood, I was looking around at these stories going like, oh my God, they all have so many feelings. You know, like, I don't know if you yeah. guys have noticed this, but like you watch a TV show, a sitcom, a drama, it doesn't matter, like across the gamut, like, you know, someone breaks up with a, a female character and she's like perfectly in tears and completely communicative about like every feeling that she has. <laughs> right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like a Super certain- Super hyper emotionally right? intelligent, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, super emotionally intelligent, totally accessible, very like freely emo emotive. And I was just thinking about myself going like, I don't feel like that's me. Yeah. So yeah. how do I represent women who have a more stoic exterior, but a, a very deep interior life? And how do I show that interior life while, while remaining stoic and going against like this Hollywood push of like the, 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 you know, emotional woman. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of what's been driving my curiosity. And I think whether you're underrepresented because you're a woman, you're up underrepresented um, within your ethnicity or your gender or your whatever it is, I think if you can find a little bit of spark that's like, yeah. how dare you? Like, uh, I hate seeing, like, I'm so tired of this. Like, I want better, I want more. That that can really drive your storytelling. And I'm sure that's the same with comedy, right? Like you see, you know, you have like big human questions at the core of comedy, don't you sometimes? Or like- I do, but yeah. I think that also what's interesting about what you're saying is when you're talking about, you know, how, the roles that you want to play are not necessarily available. So you go and you make your own work because that's a lot of what's happening yes. on the comedy scene right now too, uh -huh. because Amazing. you know we've been talking, we've talked about it for a couple of episodes, but one of the things that I mentioned is that there's a big spike now in people doing these uh, online Zoom open mics. And it's oh. kind of created this, uh, this digital terrain. It's kind of created this environment where people can basically produce their own work and do a lot the of what you're- underground is back. <laughs> like, I feel like the underground, like oh, underground yeah, yeah. art, you know? Like it's been gone for a while, actually, actually speaking. Like people aren't paying attention to people's honest and gritty from the ground up offerings. And now because we have to, like we don't have any other option but to create that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's given us a lot of leeway. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something you had to do just because of being in Hollywood and yeah. you know them like wanting a certain streamlined, uh, I guess, archetype. Babe. Yeah. yeah, babe. Sure. Um, and now that's kind of happening again for much different reasons. Uh, hashtag pandemic. Um, <laughs> but uh, I feel like this kind of transitions pretty smoothly so I'll just go ahead and and ask it um but especially since earlier I think you alluded to um you mentioned uh position of power and mm. that's something that we talk a lot about in stand-up comedy mm. and um because the comedian is kind of in an inherent position of power just because anytime you give somebody a certain amount of time whether it's three minutes whether it's five minutes to do a set um the full attention of a room it kind of puts them out there uh, in a very literal way, um, but having the attention of a crowd gives you power. And theaters, directors, film producers, such as yourself, um, really storytellers with an audience are in a similar position. Have you found that that idea is true, that it is a position of power? Uh, and if so, have you seen that power used in relationship to telling the stories of those whose perspectives are less often represented in the media. And uh, I'll preface this by saying that like, especially with stand-up comedy, I was somebody who, when I started doing it, didn't think of it as a position of power at all. I thought, you know, people are gonna listen to me and it's like, you're in the frame of like a comedian. So who's gonna take a comedian seriously? They're literally telling jokes, that's their job. Um, but apparently uh, I, I have been, made aware of different opinions to this. <laughs> so I'm interested what your thoughts are, how that may relate outside of the little comedy world. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's an amazing question. And I think that there's a lot to unpack there. And, and I'm not sure that there's like a perfect answer or one answer um, or an answer that isn't necessarily gonna change or evolve. So, you know, one of the things that I've, I've come across, I do think that directors are in a position of power. That's the point, right? It, you know, there's there's a difference between a, um, 
you know, a work that's being created out of a collective or, um, you know, a situation where there's specifically no, no label of director. Um, uh, you know, there's, if you guys are familiar with like the dance world, you know, there's improv, contact improv, right? Where you get like a group of actors together and they're all sort of like dancing and sort of like melding together and floating apart. That's very different than saying, okay, the choreographer is gonna teach you these moves, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're assigned the role of director, you're more the choreographer than you are the contact improver in a lot of ways. But that doesn't mean that you can't um, guide, um, but also be like just terribly open to um, other people's ideas, influences, and and um, overall, of course, like putting on a show is is a stage, is a, is a place for a voice. So, like for example, when I was the associate director for the Phantom of the Opera, I was really concerned about having a woman as the Phantom. Um, not because, I mean, that's something I advocated for, don't get me wrong, I advocated for that, but but, but I, my worry was when we started getting like press release, like we started getting tidbits back from the larger media community being like, sexy female phantom at Synex oh, Theater. Oh of course like, they did. Oh <laughs> my God, like how do we, like the, that is not, that is actually not the point. Like the point is not that there's the phantom and then there's this cute, sexy sidekick like <laughs> version of the phantom. The point is, and this is a philosophy that I believe very deeply in and I'm trying to understand this philosophy and mature this philosophy um, while I like listen and, um, and am open to everything that society is telling us right now. Um, but my philosophy is that every role is lives within us. I could be Romeo. Romeo lives inside me. His journey through romance, through life lives in me. The same, to the same degree that Juliet lives inside of me. So, and that's true of you. That's true of you. Like we, we uh, fictional roles, are supposed to illuminate to us and ask questions to us of who we are. So that's very much a part of my philosophy. And if you're gonna take that philosophy, then it's not about taking a position of power and lowering that position of power so that others can have power. It's about having a position of power and raising others to have power. Power is limitless. We do not need to take down other people unless they are not good people, you know, like unless right. we yeah. need to, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we don't, you know, I, I think it's okay to have, to, to inherently have structures where there is power and influence as long as we are elevating the, uh, everyone else's power around us. And that's very much a part of this idea that, um, that, you know, Irina Tikrishvili has the phantom inside of her, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a little bit of a different mindset than I think is trending right now. <laughs> and of course, you know, like you, Tom, like I'm, I, I'm open to continuing the conversation and understanding and maybe adjusting my own perspective. But that's something that's been very true to my heart and has, has guided me um, along in this process. Yeah, um, and uh, we can certainly talk more about that if you'd like, but um, I'm, I'm more speaking towards the, uh, I guess, the power and I guess the responsibility that comes from that for like the specific story that you're going to tell. Like, uh, I think the Phantom is actually a great example because the thing that you were trying to change, I guess, by um, making the Phantom a woman rather than a man is to try and kind of change the power dynamic of the traditional story and give maybe an additional perspective on it. 
Um, but I think that uh, the points that you bring up are uh, certainly a valid and additional layer of the conversation of like, whose story are we going to tell and who gets to tell those stories? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting too, because if you think, you know, your, your whole philosophy of as the director, you can use your power to give, to empower other people. I think, you know, I've never directed anything before, but if you think about somebody working with a very diverse cast, there's going to be experiences that your cast have that you don't, um, you know, and kind of giving them a platform and listening to their input is a great way to inform your own view. It seems like when you're creating Mm -hmm. a work, because, you know, if I'm trying to tell the story of, you know, a queer woman from Brooklyn, you know, I've never been a queer woman from Brooklyn, but maybe my lead actor is and you know um maybe she's got some some like slang accents like insights into what it's like you know things like that and it's a really interesting way of kind of flipping the idea of a director around I think oh yeah I mean I think that a good director has to be has to look for any any bit of of resource to to under to, to come to a place of like understanding and cultivating story, and even if they don't understand, you know, even if you're like, huh, I completely missed like that that cultural reference that you just said. Can you explain it to me, or can you just can you show me, and then I'll I'll understand how to how to help put it in because it's obviously you're passionate about this, you know? I mean, I think that listening to the performer and understanding where they're coming from is a humongous resource. And you'd be a total dumbass, frankly, to like miss those opportunities. Like you're, you, you have to, you have to elevate the people around you to, to expose themselves. That's the art of storytelling you know, and to, to create richness and nuance. I mean, the point of being a performer is to, and I'm sure that you feel this way um, as, as a comedian as well on stage is to simply be alive up there, right? You don't, you know, and that's hard. Like, I'm not saying it's easy, right? But that's the same with performance. You want people to be truly living and they don't have to necessarily be living themselves, maybe they're living a character, but that character is going to be enriched with a whole life of context if you all mine for that context and are open to that context. Sure. Awesome. All right. Um, So kind of, we've been talking about um, some pretty heavier things uh which is awesome i love it no that's great i asked these questions too um but you know kind of going back to you know kind of art and the media and where we are in this new virtual environment okay mentioned before the pandemic's been a hard blow to artists across the board not just comedians obviously but theaters around the country um around the world um so if you would, um, do you mind telling us a little bit about what Cinetic has done to keep creating? Um, specifically, you just finished uh, directing Joy, which was a one-woman yeah. show featuring actress uh, Maria Simpkins. Um, so if you don't mind, take us a little bit through that process, uh, how you overcame the challenges, if any, that you encountered uh, to translate uh, a, a live theater experience to the digital virtual realm. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, oh gosh, what was the process? The process was Maria did a whole bunch of interviews with um, one of our staff members, Chris, who ended up um, adapting Chris Rushing, who ended up adapting um, and formulating a script from her personal stories. So we had this great launching point of stories to start with. And, um, and then we started working almost right away on the stage And so uh, for those of you who haven't seen the show, um, it it was a virtual show that was done live each night. 
um, but presented virtually, but it wasn't as simplified as like, here we are in Zoom. It was like, it was on the stage. And so there was theatrical lighting. There was what we called the void, which was like an infinite blackness around her. <laughs> and, you know, things would like appear and disappear and she would pull things out and the use of props. And we had, we actually had a three camera setup. So she'd be like talking to camera A and then all of a sudden she'd cut to camera B and she'd like say a little something extra and then it would cut back to camera A and she'd be like dancing the flamenco or something like that. So there was a sense of, of movement and theatricality even though we were in cameras. Um, so, and at one point she like picked up the whole thing and like chatted with the camera as if, you know, we were a friend like on, on a, a selfie stick. <laughs> right, exactly. Like on a <laughs> selfie stick with her, like chatting with her on FaceTime. Um, so, so that was, so for those of you who don't know, that was like the basic flow. Um, what were the challenges? I mean, it, it was a little bit tricky understanding. Well, I don't know. I think every single show is its own world, you know? And this show um, was its own world. And the world was like simplicity on the stage. And mm -hmm. unlike your normal sort of, super rudimentary situation where you're on the stage and you have a couple of black boxes and you have a couple of costumes, but you like see every part of the stage and it sort of feels like a student production in a way, you know, it, because it was Zoom, we got to like create this blackness all around her that created a very vag uh, um, magical world. Um, so gosh, I mean, the challenges were t like tech was like, oh, such a challenge. Like, <laughs> yeah, getting it sounds like <laughs> more tech than you're used to. <laughs> yeah, well, well, or and, than a you know, theatrical production would have. Uh, yeah, more tech than a theatrical. Well, yeah, more tech for the size of the show, for sure. And just the constant sort of um, hassle of like having to readjust the cameras and the settings within the cameras and, and all of that stuff. And, and, you know, and one of the things that that I think was a real challenge was because Maria was co directing this. Um, in so many ways, she was a performer creator because these were her own stories. So, um, you know, something that felt right for her on stage didn't necessarily look right to me sitting in the audience and maybe looked totally differently on camera. So um, that was one of the struggles is that we weren't all looking at the same thing at the same time. You know, she's looking at a monitor that's in front of her, that's reflecting back what the camera sees of the stage. I'm looking at the stage, but I'm also looking at the monitor that's looking at her. Like, uh. <laughs> you know, that, that, that was- I'm already getting dizzy. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh. So I don't know, maybe at some point we'll have like VR goggles and we'll all be in the same <laughs> virtual world together, but oh that wasn't possible this time. That's, you know, goals for I... the- I'm so over it though. I I just I miss a live audience so much. Oh, Maybe just like with some of the stand-up stuff, because I mean, especially with comedy, there's so much of reacting to them. And speaking of comedy, I'm going to uh, just mention real quick okay. that um, my Zoom has been lying to me, and we have not been streaming this whole time. So yeah, it says live. I know it's lying to me because I brought up all the different pages and they're not showing the video. So I'm going to investigate what that is later. But what I'd like to do is yeah. if you don't mind us finishing the interview and then I started recording um, and I'm just going to do a stream later that plays the recording. Um, unfortunately, I feel like we may miss some of the people who are set up for this time, but I just wanted to let you know about everything that was going on, as is uh, the struggle that is technology, which I'm so glad you didn't have an experience like this while trying to do joy. <laughs> oh no, we did. Like, oh we great, did. so you get it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think opening night, right? And like, I was so nervous because, no previews, because my old boss, who is the president of NBC, was in the audience. Oh my God. <laughs> and she's watching the show and Maria accidentally during that face 
FaceTime moment where she's got the camera, she accidentally pulls the camera out and disconnects the feed from the entire show. And then she has to like run around and like plug it back in. And then she comes back and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> like oh just God. dying in the lobby going like, what do we do? <laughs> Well, that's actually also a great parallel because sometimes what I'll ask comedians is like, what was the worst gig you ever bobbed? And I guess like the theater oh. equivalent is like, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you on stage where you've just had to pretend like nothing's happening? I know what the, do you want to know what the worst thing I ever did was? The worst oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it was my first show in Hollywood. I was fresh out of Cinetic. So I was like looking to, you know, uh, use my skills. I found a physical theater company. It was so bad. It was so bad. It was a BYOB. Oh God. <laughs> small black box theater. And we reenacted scenes from um, Pink Floyd's album, The Wall. And it was the worst. I was so embarrassing i had one friend who was absolutely dead set on coming to the show because he's a really huge pink floyd fan and he just sat there drinking beers like looking and i can see everyone there are 10 people in the audience 10 right and he's just super confused <laughs> drinking his beer it was so embarrassing oh, oh never done anything that bad before in my life <laughs> yeah but i feel like well i mean especially at cinetic we try and do like very ambitious things. So we have some dress rehearsals too that can be like a, a little a little hit or miss, but somehow for opening it, it tends to come together. Oh, but comes together. Uh, yeah. comes together in the end. Um, but I'm glad you shared that experience. That makes me feel slightly less bad. Sorry for everybody in the future watching this to hear me talking about this because it won't be applicable later. Um, but um, and then this will be, I guess, I think this is the last question I have as far as like talking about live performance in the digital medium. But um, when working on Joy, what did you find was like the differentiating factor for how the digital live theater production was going to be different than other forms that have adopted the digital medium? Like, how is it different from film, the YouTube videos? Oh. I mean, I've noticed a trend of the, I guess, social media platforms um, and like that digital content getting like shorter and quicker and more and more succinct. Um, but for, you know, live theater to make its own mark, how did you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, in order for it to be theater, there's gotta be a component of it that's live, I think or else it's theatrical cinema, which is wonderful. Don't shy away from it. But Joy was live, you know, and we had pre-recorded elements, like we had her voice, her own voice coming in with poetry and with soundscapes. And, you know, we had things like that that were pre-created um, that supported her performance, but she was the person giving her live nuanced energy each night a little bit differently, interacting a little bit differently with the story and with where she was in the world. And I think that that's what, that's what really feeds the audience for theater is that live component. So yeah, I think it's gotta, gotta do it live. <laughs> gotta do it live for sure. And if, please correct me if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. um, I didn't get to, but my fiance Chris got to see joy and it seemed like there was also an additional element and i thought that this was really interesting um but of i guess you had to go to the box office and you picked up like a little kit of things to interact yes. with during the show <laughs> feelings about this box <laughs> we had like the producer we had like staff members like putting boxes together and like sending them like we went we were box crazy for a, a long time um trying to get these boxes out to people yeah but so like yeah interactive i mean live and potentially if you can if you want to interactive we had a box where at a certain moment she would 
you know, uh, Maria might um, start talking about the moon and a moon would appear in her virtual void behind her and sparkle and dazzle. And she would keep talking about, you know, the influences of her mother and things like that. And meanwhile, there's this little icon, boop, boop, number three, beep, beep. And you like open your box and you find object that's labeled number three and you unwrap it, right? And then you're holding this little moon for her. You know, mm. and then she she's like, oh, I have to talk to to the moon. And so then she's talking to this thing that you have in your hand. And and, and in that way, theater is magic creating. Right. Mm -hmm. Theater gives you a sense of magic. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I said that was going to be my last question about it, but this will be it. And then we'll move on. <laughs> but um, just because. Uh, that's such a cool idea. And but since you're kind of uh, going to be leading, I guess, Synetic's uh, expansion into, I guess, having a films branch or a recorded content branch, um, how are you? How are you envisioning that? As far as it being like something completely standalone or having that interactive element, like you did with Joy. Right. Right. Well, so just to be clear. Pata is still like the visionary of right, cinematic yeah. motion pictures and all things. I am like the logistics operator and like how, you know, cause I'm coming from a film background where I've recently been making um, films. So I think that for, for cinematic motion pictures, we're not going to be doing live work. We are considering doing more digital, virtual, interactive live shows, but that's not under the Synetic Motion Pictures umbrella. Synetic Motion Pictures is films and they're gonna be theatrical, um, you know, Macbeth or All the Worlds of Stage. We just wrapped last week, um, Scott Brown's All the Worlds of Stage um, film. And now we're in post-production where he's editing and coloring. But we have a few filmmakers in our in our world that have the capacity to take on these more film intensive projects. And we're gonna lean into that. And um, especially in this, in this time, um, because people can be working from home, we can be creating, you can create cool stuff from home. And we learned that, that lesson very strongly with the Decameron, which we did in, yeah. um, in the spring. You know, people really showed up and there were some truly remarkable pieces. Um, and, you know, I, I think if you can, if you can find, it takes a little bit of bandwidth and like heart to figure out what you can do that will, that you can pull off. That's like cool, you know, but, um, but it, if you can spend a little time time figuring that out, then you can come up with some really cool stuff, even if you're at home. You really can. Yeah, there were definitely a lot of really cool pieces in Decameron. And then there was my little draw my life on a whiteboard. And that's oh, what I contributed. Such a great, yeah, but it was so, it was so full of personality. And that's what we needed people to, to be able to express themselves. And, and your piece was like, actually helpful because like the Decameron is a massive text from the 1300s and like people actually needed your guidance very much like <laughs> you needed to be like shepherd along by your illustration so that was, yeah. that was don't for reference that. That was for everybody in the future uh watching my piece was uh basically summarizing a bunch of the stories in like less than a minute each with six figure life. drawings and uh uh that being said <laughs> Raz, would you like to mosey on to number seven in our list of questions? Sure. Um, so you've been featured co-hosting uh, the YouTube show Real Rejects. Yeah. What was that experience like? It seems like a really kind of fun type of project to work on. <laughs> it it was. So, uh, it, and it was one of the things that like happened in my life as sort of without me having to do all of the freaking work to like earn it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which is very rare for me. I'm usually like start to finish, like grinding and like beating something and like screaming into the pillow. And then like, there's an outcome. But for this, it was relatively easy. I, I think we just got connected from a friend and he invited me to um, 
co-host his real reaction, uh, his like live rea reaction videos of trailers as they drop, um, movie trailers. So, um, you know, and sort of hype up the movies and stuff like that. And I ended up doing like 40, over 40 of these. And when I finally moved to New York, um, he like dedicated a couple of episodes to like mourning my departure and like, <laughs> like very hilarious, like mashup videos. And this guy has, you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers. I think he hit a million recently. He's, oh, wow. um, you know, really created a brand and a name for himself. And he's like a crass goofball is basically the deal. And I was kind of known as the like more poised, but like still playful one of his sidekicks. Um, there were many other male and female co-hosts. He's done hundreds and hundreds of videos, but, um, it was wonderful for me because I, I, I was able to be sort of loose and goofy and reactive um, and gain a little bit of an online following. So, and he believed it, you know, he believed in me as, you know, a, a performer and as a personality. And um, it's, it's, you know, you, you might have friends believe in you, but total strangers, it's, it's a different thing. And, and so I really like have, um, a soft spot spot in my heart for for Ryan Wright um, on the Real Rejects for sure. Oh, that's so great, and and yeah. that's also not the only like sort of comedic impression you've made on YouTube. Uh, Catherine has her own YouTube channel, and there are some sketches on there that I thought were like pretty funny, and one specifically that I thought was damn ahead of its time was the one was doing the was breakup of the Skype where you both are like, you're in a long distance relationship and you're both on Skype and you're trying to have sexy times. And then of course it has the classic, what we now know is like the Zoom breakup of like, uh, uh, uh. and yeah. I was just like, so man, how is this? I think it said it was like recorded three years ago. And I'm just like, how oh, is no, way so longer. Oh, longer. Oh, way longer. Okay. So that was my first, that was actually the first piece of the first film I wrote, directed, and starred in. Um, and that couldn't have, that was probably like 2012. Maybe wow. two, maybe 2013. That's how old it is. Oh, wow. So, so <laughs> long ago. Where was I back I then? <laughs> long hair, and then I went to short hair, and now I've grown it back out. That's how old it is. <laughs> But oh, yeah, wow. that was a really, that was a really fun little piece to do. Okay. Uh, so yeah. there you go, everyone who's like exclusively comedy content. There it is for you. <laughs> um, you have it all. Um, all right. So you've worked in New York, Los yep. Angeles. Yep. Now you're in DC. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the cities and their different vibes as regards to working in the entertainment industries? They're like, really that like cutthroat competitiveness in New York and I I mean it's also known to be competitive in LA but I also imagine that it's like I don't know there's beaches and like everyone's gotta gotta be a little bit more relaxed or no so as a competitive person <laughs> I hated LA so much mm. I, and I lived there for six years and like I decided I loved California because I loved going to the beach. I loved going to the mountains. I loved going to the desert. Like there's so much incredible California to discover wine country, the Bay, all, all this stuff. Um, but LA, I couldn't vibe with it. And I think I'm honestly just like too much of a East coaster. I think I was like, I want to do, I want to do, I want to do. And everyone else is like, Hey, let's do some Molly and go watch <laughs> sunset. And like, sure, sometimes, but not every day. <laughs> oh, so LA God. and I did not I like, know exactly the East Coast feeling I, you're talking about though. That's like- Yeah, I'm an East Coaster for sure. So I moved to New York to and I like got off the plane and I was like, oh, I'm home, I'm <laughs> East Coast. And like New York was just, and I, I lived like, I worked right in Midtown Manhattan. I was a hundred percent in the full life of Manhattan and I loved it. I loved <laughs> it. But you know, I was born and raised, raised in DC. I actually ended up getting a nice chunk of funding from um, 
uh, a hedge fund um, manager who I met through my job in Minton, Manhattan. And I said, okay, how am I best going to utilize these resources? Well, I'm going to go back to DC where my rent is half of the expense and I have a lot more freedom and I have a good community for art, but also for filmmaking and documentary. And um, so I, I left New York and I, I love the city so much that I go back like every few months to get my hair cut. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I might let anyone else cut my hair, but this woman named Ruthie in the theater district. <laughs> so I have to go back all the time. Oh my God. I also just like love the idea of like getting off the plane and like a businessman like pushes you aside and they're just like walking really fast on their way to work and you being like, oh, this is what I've been missing. I'm oh. home now. Oh my God. I mean, I had so many. <laughs> I had so much more chemistry with that city. Like, do not try to create a career for yourself in a chemistry in, in a in a city that you don't have chemistry in. You're you're actually not going to succeed, even if you desperately want to. And I desperately wanted to be successful in Los Angeles, but I didn't have chemistry with that city. In New York, I was there for a year. I had a couple conversations you know, where I like nuanced and like, uh, uh, not nuanced, where I like cultivated this investor. And I literally walked away from a lunch one day and like looked up, I was like at the corner of Central Park and like um, Park Avenue and like 54th. And I like, was that young woman who went, I got the money, <laughs> I got the money. And not a single New Yorker like beaded an eyelash. Like no one looked at me, you know, like this is their, they're like, yep, at daily in New York, like this will happen to you. And I was just like yelling at the rooftops, like I got the money. And, you know, and I just, you have to have chemistry with your world. You have yeah. to, or you won't succeed. You might learn oh, a lot. That's cool. I learned that's a lot in, in Hollywood, but I wasn't, I didn't start, succeeding until I left oh yeah and I'm sure that like you probably learned a lot of great lessons about like probably dealing with different personality types than oh, you would sure. necessarily encounter very often on the east coast but Roz do you want to it's true send us off with the last question sure so you've done a huge variety of different projects from comedy to directing to working as a performer to doing biographical pieces so what is coming up next for you like what's the next big thing on the roster that we should look out for yeah so other than I think the most immediate thing is going to be cinematic motion pictures and producing um uh, those works, but I've also been working for the past year on a feature film documentary um, about uh, it's a it's a documentary profile about um, this woman named Carolyn Wester, who's a coach. She's a wrestling coach, and she is one of the best wrestling coaches in the world. And her champions are UFC world champions. So you've got this little blonde you know, middle-aged woman, blue eyes, you know, sweet as pie, Southern charm. And she is teaching wrestling technique to the biggest <laughs> international all-star MMA fighters in the world. So that's the, that's what I've been working on in my time away from my, like, let's say cinematic is like my day job. I've been, and that's why I'm like, here, I have like my, <laughs> Like I have so many, like how many hard drives can I take in my hand right now? Wait, I have another, oh my God, that's I, have so another funny. I have, wait, there's another, anyway, it's just ridiculous how much. This is what happens when your day job is in entertainment and then your hobby and night job is also in entertainment. <laughs> yeah, but I'm very happy to be able to say that like I am a producer director. Yeah. yeah. Also performer. But like, that is what I do. I don't have another job at this point. Um, so I'm, I'm not making tons of money. <laughs> that's the next goal. But like, I'm sustaining myself off of these projects. And, and that's very, that's been a long time. I put in my, you know, my legwork for that one. So, yeah. yeah. yeah and, sure. and also like, especially, you know, 
in these areas where it feels like the only way anybody is successful in entertainment is you have to go to these big cities where the rent is still the highest and people still do not, at least to me, pay the appropriate amount to artists or to yeah. directors and producers until you get to the very high end of that scale. It seems like it's this very like wide spectrum of like success that you can- Well, I really admire you guys for taking your own impetus and creating what you've created here because the, the best thing that you can do is create your own opportunities. And, and you would be amazed, you know, one of the big philosophies in um, Hollywood is like you plant a seed and it goes underground and 10 years later, <laughs> that seed turns into something and it might be 10 years and it's so impossible to think of your life that way. But now that I am 10 years ahead from that point, I'm seeing the seeds become flowers and it's like, thank goodness. Like I worked so hard to plant those seeds. So plant your seeds. Plant yeah. your seeds, everybody. Seeds, everybody. <laughs> Be your life gardener. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, Drink your lots life of water. <laughs> Be your life I'm, uh, I'm gonna, even though we're not live streaming right now, do our <laughs> outro, which is, uh, Thank you all for watching episode five of Laughing Into the Void and to Roz for co-hosting with me as always. Thank you, Katie, for being such a great guest and for pushing through all the technical issues with us. Thank you. And uh, again, uh, did you want me to plug your Instagram? Uh, sure. Or do you Why want not? me to plug anything? Yeah. You so know, I, um, I would plug, plug, plug my YouTube because I've decided to re-engage in that. That's something I haven't done, used okay. in a few years. But now that I'm... I'm continuing to produce. I thought I would reintroduce myself um, on that platform as a producer director and see if I retain retain my fans. I don't know okay. if I know. I will. I just don't subscribed while I was researching. But if you don't mind, because I forget, is it under Catherine Dubois or Katie Dubois? Or... Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's just like YouTube slash or whatever that is. Catherine Dubois. Um, awesome. So you can find her there. And then um, if you want to follow her on Instagram, Katie underscore on underscore parade. And then uh, if you want to watch our previous broadcast or this broadcast, or um, this one, this one will be uh, live streaming <laughs> later, uh, aka now if you're watching this. Um, but otherwise, you can find our past stuff on YouTube and Facebook for District Comedy and our Twitch channel. Um, or at least I think it holds on to it for like, two weeks before it gets rid of it so if you want to catch up you can do so there um and if you want you can listen on spotify um that normally comes a couple days after this records and uh of course don't forget uh to donate if you enjoyed the stream and every tip we get from now until the end of the campaign goes to synetic theater in their 2020 end of year campaign and <laughs> On that note, uh, please remember that we're still doing a regular broadcast, yes. hopefully, of uh, Laughing Into the Void on Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And this week, we will be interviewing New York City-based comic Ralph Anthony. And I'm really excited about this one because he is so funny. So tune in for that. We'll probably be there, but it's never a guarantee. That's part of what makes this show exciting. So there I mean, I go. hope we'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> I have other plans that night. So yeah, well, and if we can't stream again, then we won't be there. Oh my god. Oh, oh god. Oh, that just kills me. I can stop recording at least. Um, but oh. All right. Well, uh, that was the episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. And um, of course, please remember uh, to go to either the website bit.ly slash synetic2020, and that'll take you to uh, the page to donate directly. Or if you go to district-comedy.live, again, all the donations given there uh, are going to synetic as well. So pick your poison, but that's it uh for now 